and welcome to this DerivSource podcast, Living the Trade Life Cycle. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. DLT, or Distributed Ledger Technology, has been touted as a potential game changer for the post-trading space. Yet many financial organizations continue to sit on the sidelines, waiting for the business case to be made. In 2022, we have seen some pioneers behind DLT adoption who have showcased the applicability of this technology to specific areas of the post-trade space and the benefits that it yields. In this episode of the DerivSource podcast, I have with me Martin O'Connell, Solutions Architect at HQLAX, who's going to be exploring a particular business case where the adoption of DLT is already making strides in one particular post-trade space, securities financing and collateral management. In this conversation, we're going to be discussing what works, what doesn't, and the benefits that can be achieved, and of course, what lies ahead for 2023. So whether you're at the heart of your firm's digital innovation strategy or new to DLT, we're going to be sharing some views on what is working today and how it may shape tomorrow. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So Martin, before we begin, can you give our audience a little bit of background into yourself? Sure. So I've spent the majority of my career working in change management or what we might call product development for a couple of the large investment banks working primarily in the front office to drive front to back deliveries that we need in the business to take either the trading or the risk management or the settlement processes or the systems handling of that business forward. I've always been interested in the advent of new technology in the post-trade space. So about a year ago, I took the opportunity to join the folks at HQLAX. And I, uh, I've been in the post now for about a year as a solutions architect. So that really means that we're working within the firm at the intersection of what we do as a business, what we do for our clients, and what we produce on the technology side. So really, the role is about solving our clients' pain points to the extent possible, using the products that we can build on our distributed ledger technology. Okay, thank you, Martin. So let's look back first before we look forward. Can you tell me what you think have been the biggest milestones in the past year with DLT? Sure. So some of these have been fairly public and have attracted headlines. And those of you following the industry, uh, whether it's on LinkedIn or elsewhere, will will certainly have seen these. Others have been maybe a little bit more subtle, maybe haven't gained the same amount of press. I think, you know, just really recently, some of the work done on SDX, for instance, with their digital bond issuance that went through earlier in November, that got a lot of headlines. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that as we go forward. So really, those sort of production proof of concepts going forward with public issuance of digital securities, we've seen a few of them this year. I think there are a much smaller number in 2021, and I'm sure that's a trend that's just going to continue to accelerate as we go forwards. Other things that maybe haven't had as much press, there's a couple of firms working to really make digital cash viable at the enterprise level. And I think some of them have made some very significant sort of regulatory scale progress this year. They've been given clearances to do various things from a number of the central banks, for instance, which are actually really interesting and will enable them to move forward with some some really great production use cases at genuine enterprise scale for our regulated customer base next year. I think the other thing that we've seen happen through 2022 is that some of the firms working with us, for instance, but also working with other providers in the space who were perhaps at the forefront of some of the sort of POC experimental test type usage in 2021 
have actually stepped it up a gear in 2022. And we're now seeing out of a number of those uh, firms, really production scale usage coming through in 2022. Now we've been the beneficiary of some of that. Other people in the industry have as well. And we're really seeing that take off. So I think really we're at a, a bit of an inflection point in terms of the adoption of DLT across capital markets. It's very much been a historically much more of a test, a POC and experimental phase, but really that transformation, that inflection point is coming through now. And we're seeing that really start to scale up quite rapidly across the industry. In fact, we were at a conference just a couple of weeks ago, and I remember hearing uh, one or two of the questions coming from the audience talking about DLT as unproven technology. And I think in some quarters that might still be the impression, but really 2022, at least for me, has demonstrated that we're really past that point now. I think it very clearly works in regulated private activity, and we'll start to see that scale really, really build up as we move into the new year. Martin, you bring up an excellent point. And whenever I speak to people about DLT in post-trade in particular, they really either have misconceptions about what exactly DLT is or have doubts about its applicability to the post-trade space. So can you tell us what you think are some of the common misconceptions about DLT that you come across when you speak to financial professionals or organizations? I think it varies a lot even within institutions. There are obviously people in the institutions who have, let's say, invested a bit of time and energy in figuring out what the landscape looks like, the language that's used to describe it. But equally, there are people, and they're very important typically in moving forward with platforms, but there are people who haven't had the time or the opportunity to get familiar with some of the terminology, some of the language around the estate. And to an extent, a number of the terms, a number of the acronyms that get used with DLT technology in the post-trade space overlaps with some of the language used, for instance, in the in the crypto world or the NFT world. And that's not always helpful because as we've seen in the news, those things tend to operate in a much uh, much more volatile environment than I think a lot of our customers would be uh, would be comfortable with. So I think it's very important to note that even though there are very clear similarities in the underlying technology, Really, the use cases that we're talking about here differ completely from the uh, the crypto or the NFT or those sort of unregulated spaces. Really, the implementations that we're talking about here are very much regulated implementations using private networks. So this isn't a sort of an unregulated wild west of, uh, of the financial markets. We're not talking about public blockchains. We're not talking about public wallets. The underlying blockchain or distributed ledger technology can be very similar but the implementation is radically different. Great. And we'll talk about that radically different implementation in a minute. So Martin, you've already mentioned a little bit about some of the key players that have been active in the last year and pioneering progress in this space. Can you tell us a little bit about who tends to be actively and currently involved in adopting DLT and why some people are more active than others? I, th- I think it's probably important to start with the fact that at HQLX, we were founded to solve a business problem by market practitioners. And really the, the DLT element came from the problem set rather than us looking for a, a solution that DLT could solve and then trying to find out how that could fit into a, a client base the other way around. So we've been working from the beginning to find solutions for collateral mobility. And we've been doing that with some of the more forward thinking of our clients and sponsors and technology partners to make that happen as quickly as possible. So in the past year, I think, again, we've 
we've seen that change where those stakeholders have moved from that sort of test, that experimental phase to really thinking about how to use this and in some cases actually using it much more aggressively at production scale and production volumes. And really that's where the the firms at the vanguard here, the firms at the forefront, that's where they're getting involved. So they've invested a lot of time over the last couple of years, making sure that the solutions that we're generating will actually add value to them. And being able to shape the solutions from the beginning has helped enormously in that regard. So that means that from our point of view, we're not taking the risk of building a product and turning up and trying to sell it to a number of uh, banks, in particular banks, are the largest of our, of our um, client sectors. We've worked with them to make sure that we're looking at the technology, looking at the possibilities of the technology and delivering a solution to solve a problem that they very definitely have and are very definitely interested in resolving. Let's get into the weeds a little bit about a business case of how DLT actually is working in practice in post-trade. So can you give me a deep dive into a current business case where DLT is being adopted in post-trade space and, and tell me a little bit about how and why DLT is best suited to solve some of the challenges that you've just outlined in this particular process? Okay, so I think if we start with what a DLT can potentially give you in the post-trade space, I think there's really two key points to mention. So the first is speed. And if we're talking about accelerating collateral mobility, which is certainly what, what we're trying to do, what we're able to do with a DLT is move collateral, achieve ownership transfer of collateral without an underlying settlement move at custodian or at the CSD layer. There might be other ways to solve that, but a DLT is a very effective way to solve that. It's a very secure way to solve that. And we've made sure as we've built the platform, it's not just a technical delivery, but there's also quite a lot of uh, legal delivery around that to make sure that that's got a, a very robust background to it. The second key advantage that you can get here is precision. So I think what we're able to do in the DLT space is really move up from the concept of a value date to add the concept of a value time. So whereas historically, trades, collateral, more or less anything in the financial markets had a date on which it was due to settle or a date on which it was due to end. What we'll be able to do moving forwards is really add another level to that and make sure that we can actually specify the point in time at which collateral should be exchanged. And that opens you up to the possibility of intraday markets becoming a, a genuine and liquid avenue for investors and also a, a genuine and liquid way in which to move collateral around the markets at those precise moments in time. And you could take that to the uh, the logical extension where those those points in time could actually be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Now, that that has other consequences, which the industry might not be all that comfortable with, but certainly the, the technical possibility is there for sure. So can you tell me a little bit more, Martin, about how it works in practice? Can you walk us through that process? Sure. So the principal business flow use case that we have live involves achieving settlement ownership transfer of securities on a delivery versus delivery basis. So those of you familiar with the, uh, the the background of the markets will know that at the moment, a collateral swap, if that's the trade you're trying to do, can currently be settled either using two free of payment legs, which introduces credit risk intraday, or it can be settled using two delivery versus payment legs, which users balance sheet intraday. Now, neither of them are particularly attractive ways to do this. Uh, the other thing that a, a DVD, a delivery versus delivery settlement can achieve is it can eliminate the need to 
prepay collateral and incur the funding costs of prepaying collateral, whether that's one or two days early, depending on the market and the, uh, the situation that you're in. So what we can take advantage of here with the DLT is the ability to offer atomic settlement. So we can absolutely guarantee that when one party sends collateral to the other party, the collateral or the, or the loan securities or whatever is on the other side of that trade also transfers at absolutely the same point in time. So that atomic settlement and that guarantee of atomic settlement is really both the technical and the, the legal innovation that the platforms they would bring to the market. And we've seen a huge amount of interest from clients on this, as you might, uh, as you might expect. Really the savings that this can produce depending on the size of the trade, depending on how that uh, counterparty is positioned with its clearing banks, the savings could be millions in saved funding costs. The amount of uh, prepay they can save, the amount of balance sheet they can save can be very, very significant, especially in the treasury departments of some of the larger banks. So by reducing the usage of scarce resource to support this type of business lines, we can have a, a bottom line impact from day one on this front. So you've outlined the benefits, which are very clear, and the adoption of DLT in this particular process. But where are the limitations that a firm would come up against? What can't DLT achieve in this particular area? It it can look like a very new and very strange world, I think, from the outside. But really, there's a lot of what can be done with a DLT that has its analogies and has its echoes in the way that the market has always operated. What can't DLT do? Well, we still, we still need to be instructed by participants. We, we're not going to get away from the fact that if someone needs to collateralize somebody else, the best way to do that is to make sure that there's a matching instruction from one to the other. There are ways that you can imagine automating a lot of that with smart contracts and so on going down the road. But really from a, from the point of view of transferring collateral, which is the business that we're in right now, there's no magic wand. We still need to know from our participants, from our clients, what they want to do on both sides of that trade. So if someone wants to send somebody else collateral, we need to make sure we've either learned about that from a, a suitably authorized third-party platform or directly from those participants themselves. And equally, if that collateral then needs to be released back to whence it came, that needs to be released. We we can't and we shouldn't, certainly don't seek to get around any of the sort of possession and control or or other factors that make ownership of collateral secure on the platform. So we need to make sure that we're learning about what our clients want to do in a relatively straightforward way. So we we can't get away from instructions, but we can act on them much more quickly. And Martin, besides the collateral swap style product, where are some other areas or where else could DLT be used in the post-trace space? Where else could it add value? I think the technology can be applied to a number of use cases, post-trade in the settlement space, in the ownership transfer space. The way that OTC derivatives contracts are collateralized right now, especially when non-cash collateral is used, there's a number of ways in which we think we can improve the, uh, the, the speed and reliability of processes in that space too. So we've been working with a number of partners for a little while on a product build in that space as well. So Martin, you've already talked about the limitations, the benefits, and how this is applied, DLT is applied to this particular area of post-trade. Can you tell me a little bit about what you expect to see in 2023? 
I think 2023 for us will really be about continuing to add participants to the use case and hopefully taking advantage of the network effects that that will bring as we move forward. So in the context of the product that I just mentioned, we'll be adding agent lenders, we'll be adding borrowers. We've got a strong pipeline of these guys coming through into the first half, the second half of next year as well. And I think the amount of volume that we'll see on the platform will only increase quite dramatically over that period. It's clear that from a from a technical point of view and from a legal point of view, the platform's proven. And that experimental phase, whilst I think some of the clients who are perhaps newer to the platform are still in that experimental phase, those who have been involved for a longer period of time, for them, the experiments are over and the production phase is now beginning. And sticking with that forward-looking view a little bit longer, what do you think will be different for DLT in general in the post-trade space in the coming year? You've mentioned already the experimentation is pivoting to production, and obviously you expect that to continue. But is there any any other changes that or milestones that you would expect to happen overall in the next year that you would want to share with our audience? Talking to some of our peers in the uh, business, I think a number of them are in a similar position to us. Some of them are maybe a little further ahead. That inflection point, I think, is common to a lot of DLT-based solutions in the post-trade space. And I think really 2023, apart from the scale I discussed a moment ago, we'll see a couple of new products starting to come to market in a way that uh, are, are fully authenticated and fully approved from a regulatory standpoint. I think digital cash is probably the single biggest one that we'll see hitting production next year. I think the the scale is yet to be seen, but certainly the the possibility of it and its regulatory approval, that looks to be uh, something that's very securely on the pathway for at least one or two firms, probably around the third quarter of next year. Fantastic. And for those listeners who we mentioned at the top, who might be new to DLT, what advice would you give post-trade professionals about what they should really be focused on in this space in the coming year? Well, I, you might not be surprised to learn our advice is to get involved, right? I think uh, for those firms who have been standing in the sidelines, perhaps waiting in the wings, get on the learning curve. I think if you're at the bottom of that curve now, find a way to get involved in shaping it, find a way to move yourselves up it. Because regardless almost of the use case, by getting involved in the technology, getting involved in the processes, learning some of the language, you'll mitigate that risk of being left behind for sure. And I think you know, just looking forward, Perhaps the other thing that we'll probably start to see towards the end of next year is perhaps the initial stages of decline for some of the legacy processes that aren't moving on to DLTs. I think you know, these transformations, they do take a long time. We're probably looking at a multi-year time frame for sure across a, a lot of disparate processes here. But I think next year we will start to see one or two of those early signs that some of the legacy processes are, are perhaps peaked and are perhaps on their way out. Great. So... What I'm hearing, Martin, is that it's not necessarily just about people having to get off the fence and and not wait on the sidelines. You don't necessarily want to be left behind as this particular space continues to progress in 2023. That's right. I think you'll see the relative costs of the, the DLT adoption coming down quite rapidly. The costs of remaining on legacy processes are only likely to go up. So I think whether it's a technology choice or just a pure economic choice, I think the road is set. And the earlier you join it, the better. Fantastic. Well, I think that's an excellent point to end on, Martin. Thank you very much for joining us in this podcast today and sharing your expertise and your insight with us. Thank you very much for inviting us. So listeners, 
As always, please go to the show notes page on derivesource.com for more information on this topic discussed today. This podcast is part of the DerivSource 2022 digital editorial series, so you can read more on this topic in various explainers, commentaries, features, and Q&As on our website. So please go there again for more information. Otherwise, thank you for listening and join us next time.